no, 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 Everybody, Norm over here, and I want to tell you that today's guest and my buddy Bruce Foreman, one of the great jazz guitar players of all times, he's got a really interesting story with the red guitar, and he'll get into that. And, uh, you know, I hope you enjoy it. He's really one of the all-time great players. Ask any jazz player who's Bruce Foreman is, they'll know. So I hope you enjoy the great Bruce Foreman. We're here at the Norm's Rare Guitars podcast, and I've got my buddy and one of the all-time great jazz guitar players and guitar players in general, Mr. Bruce Foreman. And Bruce is an old buddy of mine, and I just want to say that a lot of the times when I'm talking to some of the best guitar players that come into my store, and I say, who are the guys that kind of intimidate you the most? (laughs) Bruce Foreman's name comes up quite often. It's because I'm a black belt, though. Is that what it is? Yeah. I wasn't sure. He's got his own podcast, too, and you've got a lot of listeners that yeah. listen to your podcast. And um, so Bruce has played with all kinds of people, all kinds of greats. Uh, you were born in Massachusetts, right? Yeah, I wasn't there very long ago. But then you ended up in San Francisco, That's right? right? Bay yeah. Area yeah. and all that. And uh, you play with a lot of the great players up there. Yes. And... Uh, when you ended up playing, you played with like Ray Brown, Joe Henderson, Richie Cole, Freddie Hubbard, Bobby Hutcherson, uh, Woody Shaw. Um, how did you hook up with those guys and how did it kind of get I to was that? just kind of a jazz kid who just wanted to play and we had a really great club there named Keystone Corner. Okay. And and they the guys would play there like six nights a week and and actually at the time Bobby Hutcherson Joe Henderson and Woody Shaw all lived in San Francisco for a short time. Cool. So I just got to know them because I was that kid hanging around wanting to play with everybody and every night at the gig I was hanging out. So I just got to play with them and learn their tunes and next thing you know I'm playing gigs and doing stuff you know and built kind of a style around the ex- experiences I had. You know? So let me ask you. Um, it, you know, when you started playing, the, did, were you like the typical kid that was playing some rock stuff too, or did you go directly into the jazz thing? Um, I was a classical pianist as a little kid, and then got a guitar because everybody was playing guitars. We're talking the late '60s, right? And I got a guitar, and somebody showed me some chords, and kind of was playing around, playing tunes. It was obviously easier to carry around than a piano. Well, unless you're extremely strong, yes, I've heard you're yes, a black yeah, belt, and have so, a big yeah. car. Yeah, um, there you go. So I just, I kind of got into it and really fell in love with it. And I was kind of playing like blues and Beatles tunes and Dylan tunes, you know, just whatever everybody was kind of playing around the circle. And um, then I happened to hear Charlie Parker. That was it, huh? And it was like, it just changed my life. I didn't know music like that. I mean, I'd probably had heard it tangentially like as background music on cartoons or, you know, you know, Uh just when you come across it at various places. Just stumbled into it. But boom, I heard it. A friend of mine... 
a bass player. His father was a jazz musician, so we could go to jazz clubs and hear the cats play. And even though San Francisco at that time, we're talking early 70s, late 60s, mm-hmm. you know what was happening in San Francisco in the rock world. I mean, the whole world was exploding. Absolutely. Even though there was also a very strong jazz scene, not in comparison to that, but very strong, lots of clubs, lots of great musicians. And so it was pretty easy to just kind of go right into that community too. And I did hang out quite a bit with a lot of the rockers there and the blues guys. Oh, you but, did, huh? Sure. Yeah, but I mean, they hated my playing mo for the most part or tolerated. It was probably a better word, you know, but I was kind of looking to do it being a different, I, I had a different idea of what I wanted. to. Well, do. you're such a wholesome guy. I mean, I would think up in that, uh, no, the reason know, I hung there. with the rock guys is because they had better shit. Than... Oh, is that what it is? All right. That's <laughs> yeah. all right. We're just clarifying. Here, <laughs> yeah, you know, really, so, Come on. Um, and uh, so, like, just, you know, I always get around with jazz and, you know, I, I get around with my buddies and, and uh, Bruce knows that. You yeah. know, I'm just kidding. But, you know, this uh, Spinal Tap thing where they say jazz musicians, what they do is they study so they can avoid all the good notes. Right, right. Well, you know, some people say that and then other people say that we play because we hate crowds. There you go. You That's know, a good so, way to uh, avoid a crowd. Or, you know. or, you know, if you want to find a parking space where you're working... Let's face it, jazz is much better. There's lots more parking spaces around. There you go. And also, you know, when when people applaud at the end of a performance and stuff like that, don't you find that they kind of look at each other just to kind of say, that was good, wasn't it? Well, you know, I mean, there is a lot of question, yeah, questioning looks on on the face of people. Uh, I never really understood. Yeah, I never could find the motivation for that, but I'm sure there's some of that. Like, well, they just need reinforcement. Yeah. They need somebody else to tell them it's well, good. And, so and they, they know, and they, and it's a whole different thing. They know when somebody stops and somebody else starts. That's a good time to applaud. There you go. You know, it's well, it's it's easy to to, to kind of oh. Yeah, that's there you great. Go. No, but it, you know, it's polite. You don't see him yelling and screaming and carrying no, on. No, but there's so hardly polite. anybody there. So you know, well, there you go. So that that keeps the ruckus <laughs> down. And all. I'm only kidding here with this. Uh, actually, um, Bruce played with a buddy of mine, Charlie Shoemake. Oh, okay. who I actually studied uh, jazz piano with Charlie for a while. I was never, I was probably his worst student because I never had the time to really put into it. So, um, but, you know, I wanted to learn, and Charlie was one of the great grab, uh, uh, great jazz vibraphonists of all time. Played with George Shearing and all kinds of other people. And he taught uh, piano and guitar. He taught music down here to a lot of people who were, uh, playing other instruments, but just taught music theory and all that. And great player. And uh, he moved up to Cambria, so I haven't seen him in quite some time. But I just saw him. I just played oh, with him maybe six months ago. And uh, he's doing great. He's Charlie is like Dorian Gray. I mean, he yeah. looks just like he did really? 40 years ago. Well, he's a health kind of guy. He's, yeah. gets I used to play uh, baseball, I think. Right. Know, so, right. He uh, made a decision of... to either, you know, go into music or baseball. And again, there's another one of those uh, questionable economic choices. Yeah. Well, you know, but he, he was like one of these guys who he taught music down here. And he actually made a great living doing it because, I mean, he had probably, you know, 50 to 100 was it students. Was Dick Grove? No, well, he taught in his house in Sherman oh. Oaks. Oh, okay. You know, and I used to drive down there. He may have taught it. I think Dick he Grove did. Started well, and probably then yeah. just decided he could do better. And then eventually bad. he moved to Cambria, which is by the and water. And he's still doing that. Is he? He's still imagine, teaching jazz yeah. theory. There's a lot of really great kids coming up on the Central Coast. I think he just made a record 
with one of them, like a piano player, a 14-year-old piano player from up there. And like his past students, guys like Andy Martin, I don't know if you know who that is, great trombone player uh-huh. who's on every soundtrack. He's every, taught a you know. lot of people. And um, Kai Palmer, who you know was on the Tonight Show band for a long time. He's really, there's a lot of his students who've gone on to great things. So He was Charlie, like a Ted Green in a way. Ted, you know Ted. Yeah, Ted, sure. Ted. I knew yeah. Ted, yeah. And Ted was another one of these guys where so many people, you know, developed a career from his, uh, you know, giving them the knowledge to kind of move on and all that. But just, you know, just for example, just uh, to kind of simplify some things. Uh-huh. In the terms of jazz, um, you know, when people first study music, you know, they're studying like major and minor chords and uh, ma- major and minor scales and maybe a blues scale uh-huh. or something like that. But there's only 12 notes in music. Right. And then they move from register to register and stuff like that. But it's really the choice of notes and kind of, um, you know, knowing different other scales and modes and things like that. And, uh, you know, tell us like, you know. Well, yeah. Well, you know, I mean, this is a thing that, you know, I guess it's kind of made me the teacher I am is, is the guitar is a really interesting instrument. And, uh, if you go to your classic jazz schools, whatever, it's all very piano and horn centric, you know, right. like, and a guitar player will go to a school like that. And of course the horn players have been reading music since they were, you know, five years old. And the piano players of course have too. And everybody's got this whole set of skills and, and they teach kind of to those skills. And of course, guitar players come in Maybe they're not strong with reading or knowing theory, but they're really good at playing. I mean, they've they've been in bands. They've played in front of people. They know how to tell a story. They know how to get a sound. I mean, these these are real skills that, like, you wouldn't learn in a band in school. Right. And, And it's always been frustrating to me that that it seems like jazz gets taught from the point of view of the horn player and the piano player. Sure. And what it does is it kind of makes really good guitar players into really shitty guitar players, <laughs> you, you know, at first. Takes their heart out of it them. T- take, at first until they sort of catch up, and then they kind of revert back to who they were before they got there. And I see that as just a complete waste of time. You know, I mean, like, let's take this guy, let's take what's good about it, and let's add to it and make help them to understand what's really happening in jazz. Because we're just playing songs just like everybody else's. And and our songs have chords just like every other, you know, and so just to kind of know what the chords are and like maybe you'd, you know, for a G chord, you know, you might in a, in a band where you wanted a lot of power, you play that, right? You know, but, word, yeah. but like in jazz, you don't need to make that much sound. And what, what you really want to have is color. Right. So like you'd play the major seven chord, but you'd only play those three notes. Right. You know, and so if you just explain that to a guitar player and say, we're playing over G, but we're kind of thinking it like this, or again, those three notes, they show up again here, you know, and they, right. again, they show up again here, you know, that kind of a thing. Um, you know, here, it's like, and now you take and make just a little solo out of those notes. Yeah. And they start to go away and come back. And that, that really starts the whole process. Well, this is how it works. And then when you start to learn about the substitute chords and the modes right. and when the they scales, substitute now chords, you're, that gives you other options for, for what I just other, did. Yeah, so that you can actually take that one thing and go take it to a different place. So right. your ear kind of wakes up and stuff. Right, and, and exactly. And, and so to me, I'm really frustrated the way it's often taught to guitar players because I think guitar players kind of have to make themselves shitty before they make themselves good again in jazz. 
And really, like they're doing it, you know, Josh Smith and I have talked about this a lot. You know, a, a guy will be playing the blues and he'll go. Right? Yeah. And we do that all the time. Sure. But no one ever plays notes over that sound that happened. Right. There. No one tries in their solo to kind of use a few of the notes from that chord to lead back to the next chord. Passing tones. Exactly. And, like and, that. and that right there. Boom, you know, the light bulb usually goes off in most blues players or rock players. And it's just music. I mean, yeah, you know, like a blues inflection has has certain rhythms, has certain attacks and accent accents and things. Well, jazz is just the same way. And if you listen to it, it's like hearing an accent. It's not like we're speaking different languages. We're speaking the same language with different accents. Right. Well, the thing is, is it's like, um, you know, when you learn to speak, the more words you have in your vocabulary the more articulate you can become. You know, you don't necessarily need to use all those big words all the time because I rarely use big words because well, you know, you work around guitar players. don't know anything right. more than four or five letter words. <laughs> but but for the people that I talk to outside of this store, sometimes I, I get into using other words. Right. So, it, you know, for a jazz player, for them to have all this knowledge, you don't necessarily need to use it all the time, but you have it at your disposal. And, right? and, and yes, that boy, and I wish many jazz players would, had heard you just say that because it seems to be going in a direction, in my opinion, a lot of times when I hear jazz, the guys are on a mission to play everything they know all the time. They throw in the kitchen sink and, and they uh, want you to know how good yeah, they are. And, and but it, the gig is long sometimes. Back, well, the gig is long. Yeah. You're going to need it eventually. You right, know? and you don't want to blow the, your wad the first tune and then you've played everything that uh, yeah, yeah. you know that you know and that the audience can handle you want to hold back and you know this is this is kind of more simplified but what i love there was a, a, you're probably familiar with Curtis Mayfield of course right now Curtis Mayfield was an R&B guitar player and he played a certain style but he played so uh, minimalist that you always wanted to hear a little more but you actually wanted to hear more. Now I hear all these guys, I want to hear less. I want it to be, I want the tune to kind of stand out, I want the melody to stand out, then take it someplace and then bring it back and all that. And a lot of the guys now have to show you everything they know right away because they figure your, own, your attention span is only 60 well, seconds, that, well, that's you better get it all in. That's know? why they do it. Okay, that's a better reason than what I was ascribing it to. <laughs> well, it's like, yeah, well, it's People Magazine, basically. People got want to hear a story from beginning to end in one page. They don't want to read an encyclopedia. Right. You know, they want to get to the beginning, the middle, and the end uh -huh. quickly so that they can kind of assimilate it and move on to whatever else. Well, then that, that justifies it in, in, to a certain degree. But then again, you know, I mean, just when it feels good and sounds good, that's yep. enough. And if you're telling a story... You know, I mean, there's a ways of, of like, a problem is if, is if I start spitting out stuff about over chords, you know, you know I mean, you're like, yeah. you're kind of like chasing me around. But if I give you, well, it's and you, phrasing. And now so. you're going to hear, you know, you're going to hear that again. You right. already are like making predictions. You're like, you're following the story. And right. if I very, then I, that gives me control because then I can surprise you or I can give you what you want. But in order for me to do that, I have to listen to what I'm doing rather than think about what I'm doing. Right. Well, some jazz is so mental that people are, you know, 
playing all these scales and all this stuff. And, you know, it makes sense, but you don't feel the heart on it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the thing of, you know, kind of saying a phrase and then answering it, the call and response kind of thing. Right. And I always said, like, one of my favorite things in all of music is a rest. And people, you know, don't, you know, emphasize rests enough. No, no, especially guitar players because we don't have to breathe. (laughs) But, uh, or you know, we don't have to breathe while we're playing. Right. Or we can breathe while we're playing. Whatever, people know what I mean. But, um, you know, it's like we're trained to hear melodic sequences, motifs. I mean, right. every every good song we know is one. I mean, yesterday. You know, there's that double note thing that, that makes that song so strong. Well, when we improvise melodies... It's good for us to to keep that in mind as we're playing through the changes and building energy and doing all these textural things we might be doing is to just give people, you know, oh, I heard that. Oh, I can hear that. Oh, I hear this develop into that. That's And really pretty much every song you hear that's a hit or that's a good song has that in common. And why we kind of, and this is true of rock solos too and blues solos, why we just choose to divorce ourselves completely from that awareness, it just se- it seems like a waste. I mean, not saying do it all the time because there, you know there's there's, this, there's there's developing an idea and there's molesting an idea, <laughs> and so you can go too far with that. But ultimately, a real quick commercial here, if I can make it. I have a bunch of video master classes that kind of deal with a lot of what we're talking yeah, about. So you can right get here. a lot more of that from if Bruce. you want to check these out. They're on mymusicmasterclass.com. And you just look up my name, and there's a lot of other great players up there and great information up there. But I've got about eight of them up there now, and they really kind of, if you like the way I'm explaining stuff, this is what you're going to get. And your podcast, too, oh, by the way. Oh, my podcast, we do a lot of ad hoc complaining, heckling, ranting, and uh, information yeah. sharing. There you and go. it's called Guitar Wank. It's one word, Guitar Wank. Uh, uh, you, you, you know, those of you that didn't see what Bruce just did, um, <laughs> it's going to be on video. If you go to the All Guitar Network, you can actually see the video of this <laughs> and uh, kind of get the facial uh, You know, that's that, when and, I run for president, that's like the, the one five seconds. Uh, you're thing not going to be able show. to run anymore because oh, okay, you okay, just okay, ruined okay, it okay. with what you just did. But, um, but you I'll know just say you cool. took a maraca out of my hand or something. Oh, is that or, right? I, or a martini uh, shaker. There yeah. you go. <laughs> so, you know, what's funny is I, I remember, like, when the Beatles first came out, because I was old enough to be there, um, you know, they were a rock band. And, you know, in the very beginning, they didn't get a lot of respect. But after, you know, it started getting to Rubber Soul and some of the other stuff, a lot of the jazz musicians started kind of taking those tunes and going because the melodies were so strong. And uh, those tunes still hold up after all these Oh, man, you know, Lennon and McCartney, in terms of a songwriting team, will go down in history as amongst all the greats, and there's there's no doubt about it. And, hey, you know, everything that's new gets put down for a while till it becomes a thing, you know? Right. We like to say, you know, I mean, everything in jazz, everything in rock, everything in pop, everything in blues, some guy came along, started doing something different than everybody else was doing, and everybody sort of like, ah, oh, hated it, right. you know, either... They hated it because it was so good they were jealous or they hated it because it meant they were going to have to practice or it meant whatever. And then to Except the, for this podcast because, and, and, you and know, then all of a sudden nobody could hate this. It catches you know, on. And then, I mean, really when you think about it, every, everything we play came from somebody breaking a rule. Right. 
But, you know, they didn't get any respect. And then all of a sudden you heard, you know, jazz players playing off their stuff. Uh-huh. Then you would hear Ray Charles doing their tunes. And you would hear Montavani or, uh, you know, right. doing Frank you know, string arrangements, Frank Sinatra. Yeah. You know, they, you know, they picked up on these are really cool tunes. Yeah. So I want to talk a little bit about your history. Um, Ray Brown, one of the great uh, upright bass players of all time. How did you hook up with Ray? Um, God, I don't, the first time, I don't even know. I must've met him at Keystone Corner, that club I told you about in San uh-huh. Francisco. Uh, he, I guess we ended up playing together and he, he liked me cause I like to play fast. I'm oh. really fast and he likes to play fast. And so he always liked that about me. So, and then he had a club down in LA that he, he kind of was like the artist. Shelley's Manhole? No, it was a club you, called the Loa, but he, I'm, I'm too remember young. Remember Shelley's I'm too Man- young for that. Oh, wow. Sorry. I'm sorry. I'm old enough to and, remember uh, that. I used to go there and see some great players, and Ray would play there a lot. Monty Alexander. Remember Monty Alexander? Sure, I've Piano player Monty, you know, yeah, from yeah. Jamaica, and yeah. he's, like, really great. I would go down there and see Ray. Was, was, was he playing? He, God did, I mean, because Monty came on the scene in the early 70s. Was the Shelley's Manhole still going there? It was still going. I ah, saw him there, but oh, okay. probably the end of yeah, that. Yeah, because that you was. Know, and Shelly Mann, who was a famous drummer, that was right. his club, and right. he got to see all the great I played with Shelly quite a bit, too, and and maybe Shelly's the one who turned me on to Ray. I don't really remember. But um, Ray used to hire me, and we'd play trio. He'd, you know, and he'd put gig little tours together. And then he'd, when he had a record date, he'd call me. And so it just started out that way. He's real supportive of my career, and we had a great time together. And um, Seemed like a good guy. I mean, I oh, talked to him a couple times real briefly. Amazing man. I mean, a true force of nature on so many levels. You know, yeah. he knew how to do business. Of course, it's playing, you know, he played with Bird and he played with Hank Jones. He played with everybody right. and, and you know, Ella Fitzgerald, they were even married. And, you know, I mean, it's like the guy is just, and he's just, when you play with him, there's something when you feel that bass, man. Yeah, he was in the right wow. spot at the right time. Wow. But I remember um, I was mainly like a Hammond organ player of uh-huh. sorts, you know, more like a Booker T with yeah. guys, you know, yeah. hold one note, turn the Leslie on and yeah. stuff like that. And Jimmy Smith used to have a supper club down here. I don't know if you ever he had one that. here. He, he had, had one down here in North Hollywood. Oh, I didn't know about And that. I used to go and just frustrate myself and just go, well, this is why I should be selling guitars because, I mean, he would have himself and he'd have, you know, Jack McDuff and all the Eddie, uh, uh, Jimmy McGriff and yeah. all those guys playing there. And I just went, I could never do that, you know. So, yeah. uh, but it was really cool. And there were a lot of cool clubs in LA. Baked Potatoes, another club, right? Uh-huh. Uh, you know, where do you play like in LA here when you. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm actually playing at the Spud, the Baked Potato, uh, in a couple of weeks. I don't know, this probably won't air by then, but. Uh, I play there. I play, you know, I play all over. There's a lot. I mean, the Catalinas is a jazz club in town. And there's a lot of smaller clubs that all play. And there's a place called Vitello's, which just got taken over by Michael Feinstein. I so thought, it's become more a little more of a cabaret joint, but uh-huh. I've got a I've got a show I do that kind of reaches off into that direction. So I thought Robert Blake took that place over. Yes, yes, he, uh, no, that, that was the scene he, just, of, just the uh, back just the back parking lot. Oh, was that it? Uh, yeah, yeah, we so. have the Memorial Parking spot back there. <laughs> Doesn't <laughs> well, he come here? Isn't he? A he buddy does, of and he actually is. He yeah. loves guitar. He's not bad, um, but I think he would trade his acting to be a great guitar player anytime. Yeah. You know, and he's a character and. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's always been really cool to me and, you know, yeah. so, um, but he is definitely, you know, fun to talk to and we've done some videos with him that are kind oh, of memorable, great. you that's know, great. and then he tells me to shut up and 
<laughs> and you do. I do because <laughs> I mean, you know, got to respect him. I mean, he's eighty years old or mm-hmm. older now, and um, but he loves music and he's definitely a big music fan. So, um, one guy that you worked with a lot, yeah, is Clint Eastwood. Yeah, yeah, I have done a number of movies with him. And how did that call come well, in? I well, mean, was that he, kind again, of a mind blow? When hey, this is Clint. You well, know. it's um. I've known him for a long time because I've been involved in the Monterey Jazz Festival. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was in there. I was first played there. I think 1978. I was like 22, and then, and then they, from that performance, they I just got right into the All Star Quartet that would back a lot of because back then, along with having bands, they would bring out like Dizzy Gillespie or Stan Getz without a band, and we would just be the backup, backup for it. Yeah. And so. Um, Clint is on the board there, so he knew of my playing from a long time, and we've we've we just I'd play sh- if he put shows on himself. He has a place up there in Carmel called Mission Ranch. He'd call me for gigs and stuff. And um, how the movie stuff started was just simply I was playing a gig with Louis Belson, famous drummer. Fantastic. It was his 80th birthday party, and Clint was there, and he just sort of came over to me and he said, "Guitar." And I said, like, "Yeah, Clint, you know you've known me for." Thirty years, thirty years now. You know, it's nothing's changed there. And um, he called me the next day, and that he said he had some movie and he was having some trouble with the music and wanted to know if I would want to help. And so I went in, and uh, he kind of told me the story. So I figured out what kind of guitar I should use. Was this million? This was million dollar baby. What a fantastic movie! One of my favorite and boxing movies, and uh, yeah, just really, really a great, great. Movie. And so he, um, so he just. Uh, he told me the story. He told me the 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 plot of the story, and and then he told me uh, what he was looking for in terms of a couple of adjectives. He said like Missouri back porch searching sound, uh-huh. and so I knew that would be a flat top guitar, you know, steel string, or a dobro, and which or which I brought, you know, which I luckily thought to bring. Actually, I'd, I on the way into the studio, I stopped by a friend's house and borrowed them, uh-huh. and um, and then he played a theme that he'd written on the piano and I adapted it to get, I've created a suite of adi- of uh, variations, you know, Very adaptations cool. of about, I must've played 45 minutes or an hour. And then he said, thanks. And a week later, literally a week later, he sent me tickets to see the screening of the movie. I mean, that's how close they were to wow. putting it out. And I figured, you know, at that late date, I'd probably have like one or two little chords in it, you know, and, yeah. you know, cause I just figured, how are you going to do Put that, all, do all that together? And I got to the screening and it was all cast and crew. So everybody had worked on the movies, that big theater over on Wilshire, you know, yeah. the Academy theater. And we're all sitting there and it's just quiet. And the screen pulls back and the guitar starts playing. Wow, and so I went, I went like, first things I went like, Shit! And then the whole place started laughing, <laughs> and, then, and and then it turned out that that like it was about half the movie. What he'd done was he decided that the guitar was going to be this the audio audio signature of Morgan Freeman's character, mm-hmm. who happened to be the narrator yeah. the narrator of the movie. So that meant like about half the time was just guitar solo guitar. I mean, I'm about half the music of that wow. movie. Very cool. You know, from that one experience. And then he called me for the next few movies he did. And then he called me for one, and I was on the road and couldn't do it. Uh-huh. 
I tried to get him to get in his plane and just come up to where I was and do it. Because it, uh-huh. it was a jazz festival. I said, hey, we can hang out at the festival, you know, and we can just right. go in the studio and do it, and you can fly back. But, you know, I mean, if he's, if the movie's coming out in four or five days. Yeah, he would wait till the last <laughs> Yeah, minute. yeah. Uh, so oh, he, yeah, and that, that was Gran Torino. I got the uh-huh. call for Gran Torino, and that, I, I had to turn that down. That was a good down. movie, too. I yeah, and uh, ever since then, the other guys have been doing it, you know. How is he as a guy? I mean, is he a good guy to hang he's, with him? He's, yeah. He's, well, I hung with him a lot back in the day when he was Mission Ranch. He would hang out in the bar there. And so, uh-huh. and I have lived in Carmel part-time or Carmel Valley. So, you know, I see him a lot. And I, uh, I just, you know, I mean, he was a great hang. He doesn't do that much anymore. And I don't go in there that much either. But um, he is a cool hang. He's a smart guy. He's interesting. He's really like he's not full of himself. He's he just a music, down. Yeah. Oh, he loves jazz and he's down to earth and 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 he's got a great sense of humor, you know. And he's just he really he's got a single sense of you know work. He works hard, man. He, you know, like he's eighty eight or nine right now, and he's still pumping out movies. Wow. So. Yeah. Well, listen, we're going to take a little break, and uh, Bruce, can you take us out with a little bit? Sure, sure. <laughs> Hey, everybody, go to allguitarnetwork.com or go to the App Store and download the All Guitar Network. It's free, and you get to see these podcasts for free the following week. The podcast will be on a Tuesday. The following Tuesday, you'll see the video at the All Guitar Network exclusively. back with Bruce Foreman, one of the great guitar players of all time. Uh, everybody that comes into my store, you know, when I say, who's your favorite jazz guitar player? If they mention five guys, Bruce is always in the loop. And Josh says, Bruce, he's number one. He's the best. Wow. Josh Smith. So uh, he's, uh, I don't know how much money you give him, but he, he loves your playing. And uh, <laughs> you guys play great together. Oh, I love Josh. Yeah, man. All right. So, listen, when you were up in the uh, Bay Area, um, I know you played with Jerry Hahn. And yes. I remember in the early days seeing Jerry Hahn's Brotherhood. Right. You know, back in the early days. And mm-hmm. he was really great. And you had some uh, uh, some history with Jerry. So, you, tell us a little bit. Very that. little. I mean, I wished I'd had more. He was, yeah, he was one of the hot guys in San Francisco, of course. Yeah. Uh, and... That Brotherhood was a great band. You know, those guys were just... And so I used to hang out around him and listen, and I played with Jerry, and he got to know me, and I got to know him. I actually saw him not too long ago in Wichita. Really? Which is where he's settled back to. I saw him uh, one time. He was double-billed with Herbie Mann. It was a a cool gig, you know, at a college in in Florida outside of uh, Miami. And, and uh, he's he really cool, really special guy. He he also used to have this great column for Guitar Player magazine back in the like the seventies, uh-huh. early seventies. He was he's the guy who gave us folks um, this finger exercise. Can can the camera see this? 
Yes, this we get on, on all Guitar Network. You're going to see it for free. Just sign okay. up a week after the podcast. I shows. think every guitar player has probably played this one. This exercise that goes like it's like more like crossword. It's like that one. Whoops. And you do it from all four corners. It's been a while since I've done uh -huh. it. one last one from this corner you know jerry was the one who put that in guitar player i i believe he's also the one that created that and, and whenever he comes to hear me play i always play that in my solo putting the notes together in yeah that it's order just it's just a great it's it's obviously a chop buster i mean crossing strings from, uh -huh. with alternate picking now what what chords would you be playing no, over there are well it goes over every chord because it goes over no chords. every note <laughs> there you go it just is like it's if you want to play something weird sounding, like you know, like you're a mad professor. That's kind of what that is. So you know, a lot of jazz is um, some of it is kind of inside and goes slightly outside, and then there's some of it that is just entirely out of the box. Right? Yeah, yeah, I guess so. I mean, it, it's it's but you know, you could again, you could say that for rock and pop and progressive music, it's like it 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 kind of goes for the 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 player or a composer's tolerance for tension you know uh -huh. i mean or or desire how much chaos they want to hear uh -huh. and like a, a band that really plays outside and frenetic you know uh they they just want to communicate chaos and you know intentions so they right. use those things so if you're a kind of person that wants everything calm and relaxed then you you know then you're going to gravitate more to consonant notes and not ang non-angular rhythms right. so it's it's i think it's you know you can take like a guy like frank zappa yeah, you could in say fact, you Weasel, could say uh, just as much about Did that as you could say about the art ensemble of Chicago. You know, I mean, you really could put them in many places, uh -huh. many ways. Although Frank's was more orchestrated and there's uh -huh. more improvisational, a lot of the same type of things happen musically. So, and Miles, for instance, too. I mean, he took it even further in that he would make sounds that were, you know, just outside because it was totally experimental. And at uh -huh. some, but, you know, you knew how great a musician he was from a lot of his previous stuff where he was playing uh, the stuff where everybody go, well, this guy can really play. And then he would do this other stuff. And you got to go, well, it's Miles, man. I mean, he must be saying something that he wanted to say. Right? Yeah, right. I mean, it's, it's exactly. I mean, and sometimes you just try stuff because... It's kind of your responsibility. I mean, yeah. and at least in at least in jazz, but I think in all kinds of music, you you have a responsibility to to stretch, and sometimes that's not always in your choice of notes. Sometimes it's your choice of sounds. Sometimes it's your choice of equipment. Sometimes it's your choice of of who you put around you. I mean, but you have a, a basic responsibility to always push the envelope and challenge not just yourself but the audience. Well, that's the problem with jazz players. They challenge the audience, and then the audience yeah. gets smaller. Well, but, you know. you know, but it's it's really cool when you hear great players who make it musical, and you know it's coming from the heart when it's, uh, you know, when it's not just all head and brain music, you know, where, you know, they're saying something, and they establish a melody or a, a, a motif or a pattern, and then they take it beyond that. Right. So, you know, I wanted to say, you know, also up in the Bay Area, yeah. Um, there was Dan Hicks and the Hot Licks, yeah, right? You know, yeah. So you knew him, too, right? Yes. And, you know, and Dan, there, there were two people that 
kind of introduced swing and ragtime and, and, and the acoustic styles to the rock world. Uh, maybe you could even put a third band in there, but Dan Hicks was one, mm-hmm. you know, like they were kind of a Western, they were like a swing band, you know, acoustic right. swing band. And yet it, they weren't really playing to the jazz people. They were playing to the rock audiences and they were very, and Dan, but Dan was a, like a really good jazz drummer uh-huh. uh, and a, amazing force of nature personality. That guy, he would walk into a room and it's just like the light got heavier. Cool. The other guy was like Leon Redbone. He's another one. I, in fact, I saw both of those guys when I first came to L.A. And um, I was just kind of knocked out because, you know, at that time, I mean, you 